Morning, I'm Steve Wraith. Welcome to NUFC Matters, a special edition of the programme, something which I've got to be honest, I didn't really want to do, but unfortunately, uh, you get pushed into these situations from time to time. Um, and I think it's about time people knew the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth with regards to the, the divide within our fan base. And um, it's something which essentially I've been accused of for many, many years. And I've kept quiet. I haven't really fought back. I haven't said anything. Um, why bother? Why bother getting dragged into something as negative and, and as pointless because of other people's egos? But I think it's time to, to essentially set the record straight. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Steve Wraith. I'm 49. I'm a Newcastle United fan. I've been a fan of the club uh, since I went with my granddad back in 1983-84. Um, my very first game was Kevin Keegan flying off in the helicopter after he'd done his Afri in Kev game um, against Liverpool. 2-2 draw. Of course, special case scored with a penalty. Um, my granddad was a referee assessor. Uh, God bless him. He passed away in the 80s. Um, he'd been a, a referee in the top league um, in, the, in the old first division, which is the Premier League uh, nowadays, kids. But um, I'd been to Darlington games uh, to watch them referee assess. I'd been to Hartlepool. Um, I had two great seasons at Gateshead in the 80s, watching Terry Hibbert play and Bob Toppin. Um, and I'd been to Middlesbrough. Uh, I couldn't go to Sunderland because my granddad lived in Bolden. He wasn't allowed to assess Sunderland's games. So the biggest game and the biggest crowd that I'd ever been to was Newcastle. My dad was a Newcastle fan, but he, he decided not to force it up, uh, upon me, uh, the, the ailment, I guess, of supporting Newcastle United. And um, he just wanted me to find my own way. So essentially, I went from all of those lower league clubs to, to watching a game at Newcastle and I fell in love with the place. I had to get dressed up to go to Newcastle United's uh, game. I had to wear uh, a pair of dress pants, I had to wear a, a shirt, I had to have my hair combed in a particular way and I had to go to this um, game and, and sit and watch it in the director's box. I was sitting alongside Stan Seymour and Peter Taylor was commentating for uh, for Channel 5, uh, Radio, well, Radio 5 Live as it is now. It was probably Radio 2 or something like that back in the day, but it was in the old wooden West Stand. Great memories and at half time went down for sandwiches and a cup of tea and some of the players who weren't playing in the game were actually in there, mixing. Stan Seymour was there, Joe Harvey was there, uh, Jackie Milburn was there, uh, Bobby Cowell, names which would become synonymous to me with the FA Cup glories in the 1950s. And I was in love with Newcastle United. That first day walking into that stand and just seeing the place and, and just essentially... Um, you know, smelling the, the, the freshly cooked grass and taking in that atmosphere that night and night in game as well, really, really all the more special. Um, but yeah, just to see Beardsley, Waddle, Keegan, Terry Mack play was, was fantastic and um, something I'd never forget. And, and, and I had the book. My dad was over the moon, of course, because his son was now black and white. And um, my dad, of course, wasn't going to the games. My dad had gone to the old game with my granddad, but my dad had decided. Um, after Supermac was sold, that he would never go back to St James's Park. And I know amongst uh, a lot of older fans who watched the show, that, that was the case with many of you um, who didn't go back for, for various reasons, but Supermac being the main one, uh, Gordon Lee being the other, I guess. Um, but yeah, for me, that was it. I was in love and I, I started going to the games on my own in 85, much to the annoyance of my dad. My dad tried to stop us. Um, Obviously, it was the, the height of hooliganism. My dad didn't want us getting caught up in something that I shouldn't. Um, but yeah, 1985 was 84-85 uh, under Jack Charlton was my first season. And um, I've been going ever since. Um, missed four home games since since that period. And something that, that I'm immensely proud of. Missed one because of uh, a holiday and the other three because of illness. And my home record, is, as I say, it's... It, it, you know, something I'm immensely proud of. And the away games as a kid, a lot of people will vouch for this, but I was part of the um, Newcastle United Supporters Club at the old Haymarket store uh, where Sadie used to stamp me book and uh, I would go on my travels up and down the country following the club that I love. And some great experiences. I used to travel with the Supporters Club. 
Then I used to uh, travel with Spow Arthur Spowart from Wardley. Some fantastic trips where he always wanted to stop at Nottingham. Um, and I went with the Red Hackle guys in, in Jarrow. Um, some fantastic trips uh, away with those games as well. And uh, many other buses and, and companies that I've, I've gone with, including Amanda, who's still running buses now with, uh, with, with Shambles Travels. And, um, you know, I've you know, earned me earned me badge, if you like, as a Newcastle fan. Obviously, things change. You get older. You have a family. Um, from my perspective, I always put my family first. You know, I know some people will put the football club first, but the family comes first with me. Um, I don't think anybody would castigate or attack me for that. At least I hope they wouldn't. Um, so, so, yeah, your priorities change a little bit. Still go to the home games, but away travel and going away on away days became less... You know, less important because ultimately I have other things that I do in my life. You know, I have to I have to earn a living, um, and I also have to uh, you know spend quality time with the family. As uh, my my kids are getting old now, where they, they don't want to spend as much time with mum and dad, and that, that in itself is, you know, it, it's something that we all have to deal with at some point. And it's um, you know now that I'm turning myself back to Newcastle, but in that meantime, what I did was I I filled that gap by going to Dunstan. I was asked to go to Dunstan, Newcastle. Um, essentially were, um, you know, in the grips, still are, in the grips of Mike Ashley. And um, ultimately, I decided that um, I would go and follow the non-league. I got a knock on the door from Malcolm James from Dunstan Football Club. He asked me if I'd like to get involved with them, if I was not going to be going to watch Newcastle. I've made a big statement about not going to watch Newcastle play. Um, I did that to really try and provoke a reaction with, with the club. Um, and I had, you know, I've had eight great years at Dunstan, loved it. Been part of a wonderful committee there, seen some fantastic cup runs, some cup wins, uh, great run in the FA Cup. Met a lot of new friends on my travels as well when I've been away with Dunstan. Um, I just thoroughly enjoyed it, but now is the time to come back to, um, you know, Newcastle United and, and get myself back on the road with a club that has always been my number one. So why have I started this particular piece with that? Well, because... I wanted to give people an insight into who Steve Wraith is because some of you just know me as that person who comes up on the television and supposedly speaks for the Geordie Nation. Well, that's not me at all. Um, I don't speak for the fans. I don't speak for you watching this. You might feel I do if I'm saying something that you agree with. But but ultimately, I am Steve Wraith who has an opinion about Newcastle United. And my opinion is no better and no worse than your opinion sitting at home. We all have different opinions, and whether that's about the team, whether that's about the manager, or whether that's about the owner, or in more recent times, if that's about the takeover, then ultimately nobody is right. Nobody is right. I might feel that Dubravka should be playing in goal for the rest of the season. Somebody out there might think it's Darlow. Somebody might feel that John Joe Shelby should be captaining the team and play every game. You know, I, I might feel that he shouldn't be anywhere near the first team. Uh, some people might think that, um, you know, we should sign a centre-forward or they might, other people might think we should be signing a right-back. Um, it's it's all about opinions and that's what makes the beautiful game, whether it's Newcastle United or any football club, you know, a, a, a big, big thing in our lives. And um, my opinion, as I, as I want to reiterate, is no different uh, to anybody else's. It's my opinion. So, yeah, when I've been asked to go on TV, when I've been wheeled out in front of the cameras or, or asked to go on radio, it's my opinion. So just to, to, to push that forward before we get into the nitty-gritty of what I wanted to discuss today. Um, okay, the fans divide. Where do I think this all started? You have to go back probably to 1991. Why 1991? Well, that was when I decided to write to a fanzine, and it was one of the first fanzines that had been created, with an article. I sent the article in, and that article was read by the person who it was sent to. I got a letter back before the days of emails, kids. And the letter basically said that my, my article was too controversial. Now, I scratched my head at that because I thought, I thought that that's what fanzines were all about being controversial, having a different opinion. Clearly not. The rights are, you know, refused by, by the editor. It's up to them to make the decision. But that was the thing that made me get up off my backside and go, 
well, if my work is too controversial, I'm going to write my own fanzine. So I set about the task with my dad and my brother and a guy called Steve Cross from Scunthorpe, who was a Newcastle fan who came up every game. We used to, we used to stand in the same part of the ground. I started off, by the way, in the, uh, the Gallagher scoreboard. I then moved to the corner. I then moved to the Leases. I then moved to the Paddocks. I then was shifted by the club up to the Gallagher. Um, and now I sit in the Platinum Club with my dad and my brother. And I decided to, to put a fanzine together. Being the keen writer, somebody who I only passed three GCSEs, uh, but passing English language and English literature meant that I was more than capable of writing about Newcastle United, a club that I loved and knew so well. So I decided to write the articles. And me and my brother used to sit and cut photographs out of various magazines and newspapers of Newcastle players. He would then, with me dad, using our first word processor, um, put the fanzine together. So the fanzine was put together, then sent to see from Scunthorpe, who would photocopy it and fold it, send it back to us. We would staple it up and then would sell it on the streets outside Newcastle United's grounds in James's Park. I would go in the bars, Farmer's Rest, uh, Dobson's, um, you know, some of these places just no longer there now. Rosie's, Newcastle Arms, of course, which are still there. And I got to know a lot of fans just going in, selling the fanzine. The Mighty Quinn, it was called after Mickey Quinn, our number nine at the time. And um, we did well. I enjoyed writing it. Clearly, some people didn't like the idea of another kid on the block. And as the news and you know the coverage of football changed with Sky Sports coming in, um, people then were approaching me to go on and do TV. Now, I do know that the, um, the editor of the other fanzines were, were asked to go on, but for whatever reason, they either said no or, you know, maybe something happened to, to one of them on an away game. Maybe he had a little altercation and he decided to withdraw from public light. But because they had done that, then that left me as the, the go-to person for the local news, ITV, BBC, Sky, Radio Newcastle, Metro Radio at the time, uh, for comment if something controversial happened at the football club. At the time, I was working at a post office in Wardley, my own business, and I personally was only too happy to, to talk because putting yourself on TV and on the radio, especially when you're the editor of a fanzine and a fanzine where you know, you're trying to make a few quid, not only for you, but the people who are selling it, um, publicity is good. No publicity, you know, all publicity is good publicity. And that's where I think the jealousy started, the, the, the dislike started. I was like a little fly, I guess, because the other magazines were well-established, uh, they were better produced. Um, I was no threat, really. I was just doing my own thing. But I think the TV stuff and the radio stuff really set the, uh, you know, set the ego going on the other side. And from my perspective, I didn't really grasp this. I hadn't realised I was upsetting people at all. Years later, um, Bill Corbin, good friend of mine, was at a meeting where you overheard a fanzine editor talking about me. Something this, you know, this came up in conversation a few years ago. And it was clear that I was more than a fly to these people. And in this conversation, a plan was hatched to, to bring another fanzine out, but to work from the same organisation, the same group, under the same umbrella, if you like. And it was to, quote, finish Wraith. Now, that sounds a bit sinister, doesn't it, really? It sounds a bit weird. A bit creepy, a bit, um, a bit dramatic for a, a fanzine. This isn't the a red top we're talking about. This is Newcastle United fan magazine, which again I'm, I'm still, you know, sending them down to Scunthorpe, getting them printed off um, on a photocopy. I folded them over, stapling them, and it's you know still you know using photographs from other magazines. I'm not um, a full glossy and you know getting adverts in. Wasn't interested in adverts. We're just wanting to write opinion about Newcastle, which I'd been prevented from in the past by submitting a letter and, and getting it out there. And people seem to like it. People seem to enjoy it. But anyway, 
Another fanzine comes on the market. Suspiciously, the same size as mine, but glossy. And um, ultimately, that particular fanzine, I quite enjoyed it, actually. Um, I did enjoy reading it. I was completely unaware that this had been brought out to, to rival me. I guess with my eyes wide open now, I can see that quite clearly. But I found that really, really bizarre that we ended up in this particular you know, situation. So anyway, we move forward. The fanzine editor who had hatched this cunning plan had also you know, gone into to business in the Newcastle United memorabilia game. He'd actually opened a, a well-renowned shop um, in the northeast, still there. If you want a little bit of info, I guess, on, on the person I'm talking about, because I'm not going to name them, Maybe he's going and speak to the owner. I'm sure he'd be only too happy to, to give you his views on on this person and and you know what else they've done. Uh, not only to me, but to two other people. I think it makes very very interesting uh, news that when you when you speak to that person. But anyway, I digress. That's got nothing to do with me. My next issue, my next problem, really started when I'd become a bit of a bee in the bonnet of Newcastle United. The owners at the time, of course, were Freddie Shepherd um, and Sir John Hall. And there was also Douglas Hall, Sir John's son. I was on television so much during the period of unrest when there was the big uh, fallout over the News of the World article. And that was essentially um, the fake shake had set our owners up. They'd done an interview. They called our um, illustrious number nine, Alan Shearer, Mary Poppins. They had laughed at fans paying a ridiculous amount for replica shirts when they were getting made for peanuts. Um, all in all, a rather unsavoury affair. Um, I put an interview request in at the club for the fanzine to interview Freddie Shepard and uh, Douglas Hall. M much to my surprise, they agreed to do it. I've still got it on tape. I might release it uh, one day on YouTube on sticking on the channel. Fascinating interview. Um, I was actually uh, in the boardroom. First time I'd ever been in the boardroom at St. James's Park. And um, I think the meeting with the guys that day, I think, led them to think, well, actually, let's get this kid on site. So it came as no surprise when the fans were, you know, still being for blood. Um, I did over 92 interviews in two days. Kevin Miles also did some, the guy from the FSA. Um, he wasn't with the FSA at the time, but he was, he was, you know, crying for them to leave the club, etc. It was never going to happen. I was missing, I was misinterpreted, I guess, a lot of ways. I always said, I don't think they should leave the club. They can't leave the club. You were expecting them to sell if that was the case. They were obviously also a PLC at the time, so they stepped down from the PLC board. So I, I guess the fans got what they wanted in one respect, but they were never going to sell the club. Anyway, I digress. The the situation that, that developed from that was the fans liaison committee. And the the one thing that fans wanted, it just shows how things have never changed, is communication with the club. Uh, we want the, the club to communicate better with us. So the club spent a lot of money um, employing Rogan Taylor uh, from Liverpool to come in and work out the, the perfect way of communicating with supporters. He asked me to get involved. He emailed me, asked me if I would be up for uh, sitting down and um, telling him why the supporters wanted communication, how it could be achieved, what was going to happen. Um, so from my perspective, I, I said, yeah, I went and had a coffee with him in Newcastle and he said he wanted to do some road shows. So with the help of a few faces, Steve Asty, uh, Bill Corcoran, Neil Mitchell um, and others, we organised these these road shows. We went out. We got um, we got into social clubs, and Rogan Taylor went and spoke to fans. Some of it was very pleasant. Some of it was very um, you know there was a lot of animosity at some of these. But ultimately, Rogan did the job that he was asked to do. He then went back with the idea of a fans liaison committee. Now, the fans liaison committee, for those of you who don't know, um, was to be a, a twelve uh, a twelve fan committee um, at St James's Park. They would have to report to a fans liaison officer. The fans liaison officer would then relay back 
to the board of directors and the owners exactly what the issues were that the fans had. It was as simple as that. Um, they got the uh, electoral um, voting committee involved, so it was all done properly. Fans were allowed to submit themselves into a into a ballot, and they had to, you know, like every vote, put put their, their name, their date of birth, everything down. They had to go through the um, the full registration. Then they had to put like a, a statement down as to what why they wanted to join, what what their hopes and intentions were. We actually got a lot of people putting themselves forward for this at the club. Um, it was a it was a successful campaign, and the people who came on, I mean, I could go through them all, but I'm I'm probably going to do a separate program on this at point at some point. But Steve Wilkinson, who does the retro show, he was on. Um, I remember it was a guy called David Tua, Marion Williams, a well respected uh, female um, Newcastle United fan, um, and a good pal of mine, Brian Williams, who, who sadly passed away. Many of you who used to go um, in in the nineties will remember Brian in, in the noughties. Um, Brian always used to, you know, he had a window company on Tyneside, but he, he was baguette man in the programme at home. He always used to have a steak baguette on his travels. Um, but yeah, it was a cracking committee. So where does the problem lie with this? Well, the club the club had asked me, after I'd, I'd been such a help uh, to Rogan, and because Rogan had put this idea forward, um, of being the fans' liaison officer. I wasn't sure at first, what does a fans liaison officer do? It's the first time there's been a position like this created at the club. So I went in and had a meeting with uh, the chief executive, David Stonehouse. David Stonehouse was a cracking guy. He'd had huge success commercially at Sunderland. Newcastle had headhunted him, brought him into the club. And along with Carol Beverly, um, again, on the marketing side of things, was, was somebody who, they just knew what they were doing. This wasn't a case of square pegs and round holes. They were, these were good people at the football club. Um, and you could talk to them. But my meeting with David was fantastic. He was a Newcastle fan. Um, he got the club. He was proud of the fact that he had an office at the club and he wanted to work there. And me and him hit it off straight away. And I thought, I'd be daft to knock this back. Daft to turn it down. And I accepted the job. And I became the fans liaison officer at the club. It was a proud moment. I'd signed a contract with Newcastle United. And anybody who knows me properly will tell you that I, I had two left feet. I was never going to be a footballer. So that was the only way that I would ever sign a, a contract with uh, Newcastle United. But anyway, I remember going, having a photo shoot. Ian Horrocks was the cameraman at the time, had a photo shoot in the stand. I, I look back at the photograph now and think, I, I wish I hadn't worn that jumper. But anyway, I had my own column in the programme um, and I set about my task at the club. I'm not going to go too much into that because, again, that's a different story and it's something that I'll, I'll happily talk about, I guess, when I do the Fans Liaison programme. I'd like Steve Wilkinson on that one as well. But where does this fit in with the, the fan divide? Well, the smaller fanzine that was set up, not the big one that was already established, which didn't want to publish my work, but the smaller one made it their mission to attack me at any given time. Now, I can prove this because I still have all the back issues. I do keep everything and anything where something is levelled at me or there's a bit of criticism. I have all the articles, I have all the letters, and I have all the little bits and bobs that were within that particular magazine that were aimed at me. Most of them, you know, career-related. Ronnie and Reggie career. Now, most of you will know... You know, I visited the craze in prison. I've written books about it. Some people find that odd. That's my thing. Interested in true crime. And, you know, I've gone on to, to, to write many books on different people and produce many different books on different people. But this was the one thing that started to hammer me with. It was on a well-known Newcastle website as well, um, reference to the craze, which gave me my first indication that actually... Some of these people aren't happy about me at all. I'm stepping on toes here. I didn't realise it. But I was starting to open up. My eyes were starting to open up. And I've got to be honest, that criticism hurt me. I was just trying to do a job. Um, I was trying to be, you know, my own man in a position which had just been created for me. I was trying to build up the network of supporters for the club, within the club. 
I was speaking to different fans organisations who were only too happy to hear from me and, and link them with Newcastle United, give them a database of fans. Still very early days for database back then in the very, very late 90s, early noughties. And every week I was getting picked off, attacked, hammered. Um, and this was before social media, but it was a constant reference to villains, the craze, and I shouldn't be anywhere near the job. And look, it's my favourite saying, but you put your head above the parapet, it's there to be shot at. But I felt I was never given a chance. Never given a chance at all. Um, I subsequently left my post a year later, but it, in that meantime, the criticism that I received was mainly aimed at the fact that I was getting paid. Now, I never announced anything. The club wouldn't allow me to announce anything. And my contract between me and the club was my my business. Um, I have yet to see anyone get a job and then announce how much they're getting paid or get a job and announce that they're getting paid. Um, but this seemed to be a major crux in the, the small fanzines, um, you know, issues with me. Um, I shouldn't be paid. The fans liaison committee aren't getting paid. I shouldn't be paid. Um, but again, it was just a, a thing which, you know, should have set alarm bells ringing with me moving forward. But it's only when you sit back with retrospect and look back on these things that you think, well, actually, that's another thing that they did, these people did. Okay, so moving on from fans liaison officer, I step down um, and, and move on. And I go back to the fanzine world because I'm a Newcastle fan and I enjoy writing. I started a magazine called Players Inc. to start with. Um, Players Inc. was a regional football magazine which covered Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Darlington, Hartlepool, Gateshead and the non-league. And it was a great concept. I set it up with former Newcastle number nine, Joe Allen, and a Sunderland fan and a designer called Andrew Brewster. And it was fantastic. I remember going on Radio Newcastle the very first week that it came out and a guy from 442 coming on and saying it would never work. 37 issues later, I didn't happen to speak to that guy again who held his hands up and said, uh, actually, I was wrong. But that got me back into the the swing of things that got me back into the, the wanting to write about Newcastle United and still going to the games, of course, but it just got me that feeling of, you know, I'm enjoying doing this, but I'd rather just be doing this all about Newcastle United. So I set up my event management company, Players Inc. Event Management Limited, off the back of the fanzine. And then I retired the magazine and I came back with uh, Toon Talk, which was a new fanzine. Uh, Newcastle United, but this time I wasn't sending it down to Steve from Scunthorpe. I'd put a bit of money into it, I charged for advertising, and it was nice glossy. And here I was, all those years later, back outside St James's Park, selling me wares before the game. And that's where I probably got a lot, to know a lot of you people, a lot of you fans, because you always remember us being out there. We always used to come up with daft things, like when Asperilla saying. Uh, Asperilla saying we did Asperilla Asperillas and I gave away free sweets um, you know I was the kid actually when Gaza came back he was selling the Mars bars outside the back of the Gallagher then when he got uh, surrounded with Mars bars and taken a corner in that uh, return to St James's Park when he signed for Tottenham um, but yeah the, the fanzine you know we always try to do little gimmicks and little different things so this is where the next issue starts because I can I can imagine the collective groan when I started that magazine off. It was like, oh, it's back again. Um, but the, I guess the main thing that caused the big issue was that a well-known writer in Newcastle United circles who is quite an extrovert and very political um, was writing for the smaller fanzine who didn't particularly like me. And he left the fanzine under a bit of a cloud. Now, this person has been uh, been through the mill in recent times, and that's why I've chosen not to mention any names today. I don't want to be accused of causing people nervous breakdowns or, or people that suddenly say that they've got mental health issues because of this, because I just want to be honest. I just want to tell you guys the truth out there about exactly what's going on. But this particular guy had fallen out with the editor, and this guy was a, was a good pal of mine, actually, back in those days. 
I actually valued his opinion, didn't agree with his politics. Politics isn't really my thing, by the way, but we'll come to that in a minute. But he had left under a cloud and it was messy. However, I wasn't aware of this at the time, but he came to me uh, in an email and asked if he could come and write for me at my new fanzine. Like the look of it, would it be possible for him to, you know, to, to come and join me and, and do this? And I just said, well, yeah, I'm up for that. Um, I've got no problems at all with, you know, with you coming on board. Why have you not, you know, continued with the other fanzine? He gave me his version of events, which sounded quite plausible. Did I decide to speak to the other people? Well, no, of course I didn't. He's a free agent. He wants to come to me. He wants to write his stuff in my fanzine. Then all the better for me. It was about two weeks later when I was approached at a Newcastle United game and asked if I could be had a word with by the other fanzine editor. And from his perspective, he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy because the particular article that this other writer was putting together was something which had been featured in his fanzine on a regular basis. He'd now lost this and he wanted me, first of all, not to allow this guy to write for my fanzine, but also for me not to, to publish this particular article if I did. Well, I'm not being funny, but any editor will tell you. And I call myself an editor. Look, it's a fanzine. It's a two-bob fanzine. You know, we weren't selling millions of copies. It's like... It's not, a, it's not a red top newspaper, this. It's a situation where I'm being told what to do by somebody else. And I said, well, I'm sorry, like, but if I was coming to you telling you not to do something, what would you do? So we agreed to disagree. The guy comes to write for my fanzine, puts the articles in. They continue writing the same articles, but not, not as well as this person. And that's it. But again, looking back now, another little cross against my name, another black mark against my name by these, these other people. Clearly upset them on that one. So, next, next stop. NUSC and NUST. I keep saying we've done a show about this, and we have done. Um, we've recorded a show which won't be released until... Um, 23rd of August. We've done, we haven't just concentrated on them, by the way. We've done, we've done documentaries about, or, or shows about, mine, Steve Hasty, Neil Mitchell and Keith Patterson's involvement in different campaigns throughout the eras. So, so far we've recorded Save Our Seats, um, NUSC and NUST. There's more to come. Fans, Leaders and Officer and Committee will be another one. Um, the, but there will be other stuff that, that comes out. Um, in those documentaries. So we can all have a little bit of time off. Um, but yeah, the emergence of NUSC was something I was fully behind. But by this time, I'm fully aware that I'm like Marmite. Some fans love me, some fans are non-committed, and some fans completely hate us. And I understand that. Again, it's my favourite saying, but you put your head above the parapet, it's there to be shot at. So, from my perspective, I ended up going to the meeting at the Irish Centre for the NUSC. It's fantastic. Um, the fanzine editor, the smaller fanzine editor was there, having his say, I think he pulled it together. Um, there was Malcolm Dix, good friend of mine from the Magpie group was there, Gibbo, kind of been a bit of Gibbo if you want to rally the troops. The room was chocker at the Irish Centre, 300, 300, 300 plus, standing room only. They asked for volunteers at the end, and I decided not to do it. I would like to have done, but I decided not to because of what people would see as my divisive nature. I and I do I look as do I look myself as marmite or divisive? I don't actually. But now I come to think of it, I feel as if I've been conditioned to feel like that by these other people. I almost feel as if over the last twenty plus years of, of this kind of campaign against me that I've now been conditioned to feel as if I'm divisive when I'm I'm actually not when I look in the mirror. I don't feel I am. I don't do it deliberately. Um, 
But yeah, I didn't put myself forward for any position on, on the committee. But I did speak to Steve Hastie and told him that I'd be only too willing, because he was involved, uh, to help if needed. And any any editorial I wanted in the fanzine, I'd be most, more than happy to put stuff in. But I never heard back from anybody. I didn't expect to. Um, subsequent events that took place with NUSC, um, I didn't go to. But I watched it from a distance, and I was pleased that these guys were actually trying to make a difference and... You know, someone like Colin Whittle demands, um, you know, demands your attention whenever he speaks. And that guy has got so much respect from me. Um, he was a major player in that. I was surprised when the supporters club became a supporters trust. And although I understood the, the ideas behind it, it made me less inclined to be as supportive of it in those early days. But then when I spoke in depth to Neil Mitchell, Steve Hastie, Bill Corcoran, I came around to their way of thinking uh, about the trust. I felt that it was the right thing to do. The fact that it gave you a little bit more power um, as far as... And, and when I say power, I mean power around the table. Uh, excuse me while I have a drink. Power around the table, as in the football club has to listen to you. The powers that be have to listen to you. So it gives you that little bit more power. A supporters club, not as much. They can fob you off. But with a trust, they have to listen. Now, my understanding, and I've not been corrected by Steve, Bill and Neil on this, is that it was set up as a protest group. Originally, that's what it was, a protest group. Granted, things have changed over the last few years due to the, the various incumbents of the chair, but it was set up as a protest group. And... They were very, very um, committed to, you know, getting things right. And the people around that table were great. I've got to be honest. There was still the fanzine editors still, in, in, you know, involved. However, I never had the, the animosity or the jealousy towards them. So that didn't cloud my judgment in, 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 with regards to anything with these people. What, what did cloud my judgment, however, and what did make me angry was when NUST started an advertising campaign and this particular advertising campaign, um, all fanzines were approached about potentially giving up some advertising space within the magazine and a page of editorial. Now, as I've mentioned already, when it was NUSC, I was more than happy to do that. Money isn't my God. I'm not somebody who craves money. Um, I'm the kind of person who is quite happy that I can pay my bills, I can look after my family the way that any man should, and as long as I've got that little bit extra to spend on going to watch Newcastle play and having a couple of drinks with my mates, that's me. You can't take money with you. I'm not a megalomaniac, and I'm not somebody who's, you know, lives above me means. Anybody will tell you that. But I'm not tight, and I do do a lot for charity. I'm a Freemason. I'm actually the worshipful master in my lodge in Gateshead. So from my perspective, I have, you know, I've always played fair with people. And with NUSC, as I say, I'd offered them free space. So with the trust, when I was approached about putting an advert in, the only question they asked was, are the other fanzines doing this for free? And I was told categorically by one person who was part of NUST at the time, yes, they are. So imagine me horror a few months later, after giving two months of free advertising away to the trust that, surprisingly, the other fanzines had been paid. And they'd been paid handsomely for the pages that they had given up in both fanzines. Now, bearing in mind these fanzines were run from the same organisation, not sure if they are now, but that really, really annoyed me as always when I get annoyed I have a cup of tea I sat down thought about who I could ring what I should do so I knocked up invoices for the two months that I was owed for that were ignored and they were ignored again when I resent them so I took it up with Steve Hasty. now Steve Hasty and I didn't know each other very well at the time 
but I knew that was somebody that I could actually speak to, somebody I could have a conversation with, and somebody if I asked about something would certainly try to get to the bottom of it. Now, it's not for me to speak for Steve Hastie. Steve, I'm sure, has his say on our programme on the 23rd of August, but he was horrified because it was true that the other fanzines had been paid and I hadn't. And especially when he was the person who had essentially told me that nobody else was getting paid. He'd been lied to. So it was a sour taste in the mouth all round. I'll cut that particular story short, only to say that after a great deal of to and fro, I did eventually get paid what I should have been paid by the trust. So there's no outstanding monies. Um, that wasn't the point. It was a point of principle. And what I will say, and probably some of you might get sick of hearing a say, but this has nothing to do with the trust now. Anything that I say about the trust at this point has nothing and no reflection on anybody who is part of the trust board now. There might be, if we check the minutes, one person who was on the trust board currently who was involved back then. Check the minutes. Have a look. I'm sure that uh, that person will, will still be there. But that, I'll come to something about that in, in due course. But yes, another problem there. Another issue. And, and I'm sure the other side of the fence weren't very happy about me finding out that you know, they had got a, you know, they had been paid and I, I hadn't. But so what? I'd, I'd righted it wrong as far as I was concerned. Again, Steve Hasey's spoken about this in depth and he will do on the 23rd of August show, but Steve ended up in a horrendous position with the trust. To the point where him, Bill Corcoran and Neil Mitchell walked away, resigned, left. Three people who'd set it up, along with others having to fall on the sword because of a stupid situation over advertising revenue. Crazy. And I think the way Steve was treated was terrible. I know it's something which still angers him to this day, um, and I'm not surprised. But again, I can't speak for Steve Hasty. but I think most people know the story about that now. Steve and me and the rest of the gang, Neil Mitchell, Bill Corcoran, had all had enough, I guess, of fan politics by that stage, and... You know, although we still saw each other at match days and still bumped into each other, we we just didn't want to be involved in the fan politics anymore. But, in the words of the Godfather, every time you try to get out, it pulls you back in. Because things change at your football club. And because it's in there with us, and because it's a passion, we all feel the need to do something if something goes wrong or if someone's taken the mick out of our football club and ultimately that was the birth of NUFC Fans United an idea by a good friend of ours Zara who just wanted Newcastle United fans to be united not divided under an umbrella not a group with any power as such not a group like the trust that could sit and um you know hold the club to account because it has you know legislation behind it but just a a group of like-minded fans pulling together under one umbrella who if push came to shove when something happened or something something happened that we were unhappy about we would be represented great idea and concept and this really come about because of social media as well were so many new groups that were forming on Twitter in particular and people hiding behind a pseudonym but with two or three people who were all on the same account who were willing to get involved in stuff and um, as we know the Mike Ashley era has, has been a, a very toxic one for all of us and the idea of this was great so Zara took a lead, Steve Hastie got involved and a meeting was put together for the, the Irish club again. We do like we do like the Irish club. Um, and yeah, there was different groups came together. Fanzines, Twitter accounts. Um, I would say some of the more uh, active accounts, such as Mike Ashley Out at this time, attended. And 
the editor of the smaller fanzine turned up as well. And the guy who had come to write for my fanzine, who'd left his fanzine. You can imagine what the atmosphere was like in that room that night. You could have cut it with a, a knife, really, the atmosphere. It was it was fairly, fairly uncomfortable, to say the least. Anyway, the meeting went well apart from that atmosphere. The small fanzine editor had no interest. Um, I get the feeling he just came along to, to say that this idea was ridiculous and that the trust was the only way forward. Um, we never saw him at another meeting again. And subsequently from that uh, meeting, we ended up going from... Uh, strength to strength in a lot of ways because we had a monthly meeting at the Irish Centre and a lot of people came to those meetings who wanted to make a difference, who wanted to, to stand up and be counted, but some just came to chew the fat, you know, talking about team selection, talking about the owner, talking about what we could do, and those particular uh, meetings after were really fruitful. I guess what came from those in a lot of ways is, the, is, is almost like the birth of the fans forum, because a lot of people were putting themselves together and people exchanging mobile phone numbers and people got to know each other. But um, again, just for those people who didn't really get what we were doing and didn't like us, that was another black mark against our names. It was something which they didn't want us to do. They didn't want us to be involved. They didn't want us to, they didn't want us to be having our head above the parapet and having our say on, on fan-related issues. So ultimately, you know, again, another black mark against our name and that was that was something which I felt was was you know quite disappointing. There was obviously the big um the big march on St James is something which uh the Mike Ashley out group had, had taken lead on. Um something which of course I've been castigated for, for for many many years um because I was the one who'd done the cassock and played the vicar and that was a last minute decision. I was going back through the emails uh, that I had from that particular uh, point in time where we were organising the, uh, the the march to St James's Park, and the very night before the uh, before the march, we still didn't have anybody who was willing to, to stand at the ground and read out the prepared speech in front of the waiting media, and I was asked to do it that that last uh, at the death. So I went down to see my good friend, um, the Reverend at the time, at the church in Newcastle, and he lent us his cassock and the rest's history. That particular situation was something which, at the time, I certainly didn't regret. I think I look back now and think, well, would I, would I do it again now? Definitely not. In fact, the recent transparency protest, I was deliberately at the back. I went down to support those people. It had nothing to do with me. I didn't organise it. Uh, but I went down to support those people and... And it was nice not to be in the limelight and watch other people step up and young Holly Blades, who, who did a fantastic job in particular, you know, making a speech outside Downing Street at the age of 16. Amazing to see that. But but yeah, the, the Vicar thing only gave ammunition to those people who wanted to have a pop of me on a, on a regular basis. And that's what that's what happened. Um, I was a disgrace to the fan base. I was an embarrassment of the fan base. And because of social media... That really does almost emphasise the criticism. If you get sucked into that, it can affect your mental health. But from my perspective, it didn't ever, it didn't ever do that. Um, like I said to you, you put your head above a parrot, but it's there to be shot at. And I personally felt that I was doing the right thing. But six months later, I think it was, there was another coffin march. I refused to do it. I didn't even go on the march. I still get blamed for that one as well. The Willy Wonga uh, one where they were complaining about the uh, the shirt sponsor, uh, the paid at the um, loan the loan company that was sponsoring the shirt at the time. That was a guy called well, I'm saying the guy the guy who ran the Mike Ashley Out campaign was the guy who comes out the coffin. But just because he was bald and had a bit of stubble, everyone thought it was me. It wasn't me. Um but again I, I digress. That's another reason, again, why those supporters from that particular group organisation um, had an opportunity to have a pop and, and, and attack me and, and for me that was no surprise at all and in all this time you've got to remember this is we're not talking one or two years here we're, we're now over a decade on then whoever this person or these people come in contact with 
And whenever I come up in a discussion, if I'm on TV, if I'm on radio, then new people to that group are then basically told, ah, Steve rates this, Steve rates that. Well, you know, that's only going to mean that a lot of people who've never actually met me or who don't know me will have one dimensional view of who I am. And that is wrong. That really is wrong. I've always said, you want to know who I am? Drop us a message. If you want to meet up, come and see us. But don't, you know, judge me on, you know, watching me on TV or listening to me on the radio or on somebody else's opinion because that, that is wrong. Anyway, still I've got a bit more to go through. So during the period of Mike Ashley's reign, we've had a few chief executives, but one in particular probably annoyed the fans more than others. And again, I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but what he did do at one point was schmooze the fans. What do I mean by schmooze? Well, he, in, he invited fans up to the ground for a sit-down at a match of their choice and talked to them about you know, the club, his plans, his ambitions, and any issues that they had. On one particular meeting, Steve Hastie was um, invited up with, uh, with a fanzine editor, believe it or not, a smaller fanzine editor. And um, amongst the discussions with the chief executive and the manager at the time, uh, after the game, was me. And that I was the most divisive person in the fan base and I needed to be stopped. That's an actual quote. Steve Hastie told us that. Wow. Unbelievable. The chief executive of, of, of your football club and, and a fanzine editor in discussion with a manager talking about me. At the time, it was more important to be talking about what was going on on the pitch, not me. Bizarre. But again, more proof that this person has clearly got an issue against me rather than anything else. Once I'd heard about this from Steve, I decided to take things into my own hands. So what did I do? I knew where this person used to drink after the game, drank in the Newcastle Arms with his friends. So I went to the Newcastle Arms after a, a Newcastle United home game, walked in, saw where he was, approached him, said can I have a word. I had a chat with him, put my hand out, and I said, there's my hand, I'll apologise to you for anything that you think I've done wrong to you. Let's call it a let's call it a truce. Let's move on for the good of the fan base. His mates were a bit surprised. He was definitely surprised. He shook me hand quite weakly. And that's it. We left it at that. I walked away. A couple of days later, I got a message from the guy. He was up for meeting for a coffee. So we went for a coffee that week. We had two hours in each other's company and we agreed to disagree on quite a lot. I guess the main topic of conversation was the fanzine situation with the guy who left his fanzine and came to mine. Um, for me, that was old news. Something that clearly still annoyed him, but for me, if I had to apologise for doing that, I was only too happy to do it if it meant the fan base could progress and we could get on with our lives and, and, and if it meant that any, any situation sprung up in due course with the, with the fan base that we could move on. As we left, he asked me not to mention this particular meeting. But things have gone too far now, not, not to actually say that this took place and subsequently about what's come up over the last 48 hours. But I haven't mentioned his name. Those of you who know will know, but ultimately, we shook hands that day. To me, that means a lot. You shake hands with a man, that means, you know, you put your beef aside and you move on. And we agreed to disagree on a few things. That's what, that's what it meant. What I know now is that that handshake meant absolutely nothing. And that the silence over the last few years and me not saying anything about this is simply added to, you know, the, the problems that I've faced, you know, on social media and in the wider fan base from certain people. So, where did, you know, from, from my perspective, what, what happened next? Well, there was a bit of a thaw in the relationships, I guess, because I ended up 
um, been approached by the new editor of the fanzine. The old one stepped down. He had a lot of uh, altercations with people on social media, on Twitter in particular. He disappeared off social media altogether, although I wouldn't be surprised if he's still there somewhere, uh, hiding away under some uh, account. But he disappeared. A new guy came in as the editor. Rather pleasant lad, um, got to be honest. Um, my kind of person. That person then also became the chairman of the trust. Now, I was interested. I know other people who I know, who I've mentioned already today, weren't as convinced that this person who looked quite friendly and amicable was, was his own man. But me personally, I was prepared to give him a chance and I felt that maybe these things would move in the right direction. I had a couple of chats with a guy, I had a couple of meetings with a guy and eventually I was asked if I would like to join the, the trust board. And this was at a time when I was also made aware of the trust's intentions, which were not to protest, not to get involved in, in that kind of stuff, but to, to launch a pledge scheme. Now, I was fairly non-committal on the pledge scheme, I've got to be honest. I didn't know enough about it, neither did that person. At the time, he had ideas of how we wanted to take it forward and who we wanted to get involved. But from my perspective, I wasn't sold on the idea. And this is pre-takeover as well, when this first discussion was ever had. Pre-Amanda -pre Stavely visiting the, you know, the St. James's Park um, match between Newcastle and Liverpool. But I knew that was their intention. Joining the NUST was always going to be something which I would need to run past my good friends, Steve Hastie, Neil Mitchell and Bill Corbin. And why would I do that? Well, because they fell on the sword for me. They walked away from that organisation because of what had happened in the past. And the last thing I want to do is stab my friends in the back and, and show any disloyalty. But I felt that I could potentially make a difference by going onto the NUST board. And I felt that that was the reason I was being invited onto the NUST board, to make a difference. Looking back, I probably was. Why? My social media increased um, to big amounts. I'd set up a company uh, which involves former Newcastle players. And I could be of use to the trust. And that's what happened. And I allowed it to happen. Um, I was on the board, so I was working for the board. Of, uh, on the trust and I, I decided to you know use my contacts and ask them to, to do a video to try and get people on board with the NUST it was a big success um, the, the video went out uh, membership increased and it's something which NUST have thanked me for since and no, no wonder it was a great, a great thing for us to do great thing for them and numbers increased you know I think probably in the region of five or six thousand um, over the course of a four or five week spell. Why? Because once again, Newcastle was in turmoil. People weren't happy with the owner. Subsequently, after all of those recruitments, I did read a hell of a lot on social media of people being just disappointed. Because when the, the first thing happened where the fans wanted something to happen, nothing happened. Trust just want to write letters. They don't want to get involved in protest. They're not a protest group. Now, they were, but they're not. And... That annoyed a lot of people. And I'm not going to name names, but there's a lot of people out there on, on social media who will, will probably back you up after uh, back, back me up after watching this and saying, yeah, I did. I cancelled my membership. Um, I wasn't happy. I thought they were going to do this. They didn't. I've got to read the terms and conditions, I guess. But, you know, you've got to know what you're joining. Um, you know, buyer beware is what Freddie Shepard said when Mike Ashley bought Newcastle United and do, didn't do due diligence. But... I feel, guess, a little guilty about, you know, doing that video now. And I felt as if I conned people. And that's not me. I don't do that. I don't con people at all. Um, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, when I was on the board of the trust, I was doing my bit. What else happened on the, on the, you know, at the trust meetings? Very little. I didn't go to many. You'll see from the, you'll see from the actual meetings that the board meetings were too far away. I don't drive. Um, and... I was disillusioned within the first six months of being on the trust because I realised that a bit like working for the football club as a fan of the years and obviously you, you can't speak your own mind and it's something which I have to do. 
it's very hard for me to keep quiet if I've got an opinion about something and sometimes having an opinion about something um, is going to is going to rock the boat with an organisation that you're part of and and that that from my from my perspective meant that essentially I just couldn't say anything. So at the end of my first year, um, Alex approached me and said, "We always have to ask certain people to step down. Would you be willing to do it?" I was only too happy to do it. Um, I didn't resign um, as such. It wasn't the case of "Oh, I'm sick of this. I'm resigning." It was just I was I was asked by the chair to step down, and that's what I did. I stepped down. Um, and, and moved on handshakes all around you know thanks for everything and that was it in the meantime I'd also been asked to write for a fanzine to, to write for the small fanzine the one that had been set up to, to have a pop at me um, and, and, and try and finish me off way back in the 90s and I agreed to do it and that's because I enjoy writing I enjoy writing about Newcastle by this stage I'm not doing a fanzine myself anymore and I do enjoy writing about things I wasn't asked to go in a WhatsApp group. And obviously I've since found out that a WhatsApp group is, has always been there for this particular fanzine, um, for writers to talk and chat and, and whatever. Not sure why I was never invited into that WhatsApp group, but I can hazard a guess. But yeah, the, the articles that I wrote um, were great. I enjoyed it. I'd get contacted by the new editor. He would say, this is what I want you to write about. This is your word count and, and off you go. And I used to enjoy hearing the, the magazine drop because there's some great people who write for that particular magazine. Um, so one thing Newcastle's fan base is blessed with, having good writers and, and people who essentially are very talented writing about you know different issues. And again, all different opinions, stuff that some of us agree with, other, others won't, but that's the beauty of football, as I said earlier. So... After I'd stepped down from NUST, the text messages stopped coming about submitting stuff for the, the fanzine, which gave me, I guess, a sense of being used to a degree. Something I'd allowed, us, I'd allowed to happen, of course, which I mentioned earlier, but I just, get a, I just had that feeling that, you know, maybe that somebody was saying, well, got what we wanted out of him, let's move on. And that's what happened. I've got no guarantee that that is what happened, by the way, but that's just the way I felt, and I thought I would I would put that out there. The stuff that I put out the other day is something which I, I was only aware of after I've left the trust about a, a board member who went to jail. Now, once again, this has got absolutely nothing to do with the board who remain at the moment, bar one person, bar one person. Now... NUST have done a lot of good work, I guess, over the years. Done a lot of important work with regards to the foundation and stuff, but they've not been a protest group. Let's get that clear. However, this situation, which to most will seem minor, was brought to my attention when I'd left NUST. And that particular situation is something which should have been addressed internally. And I still say should have been put out to the membership. Just to say, we're aware of the situation. It hasn't affected anything to do with NUST, uh, but we felt, as a committee, we should let you know. Now, I don't know the full ins and outs of legalities. I've said it before, I'm not legal legal, but I, as a member, felt I should have known about that. And it was something which was put out, I saw a couple of times by accounts on Twitter, over the last six months. And NUST now don't want to answer about it, which is fine because, you know, they're saying that nobody was it, nobody on the committee has got anything to do with that. That's right, nobody on the committee. The, the newly the newly installed chair, the you know, the, the, the new committee members that, that are on there, none of them have any anything to do with that. Bar one person. And I'm not going to name that person, but I think that person should come forward and either apologise for it not going out or should resign from NUST because they are fully aware of the situation. They've been involved with the trust as long as, as, long as that incident has been known about. And that person remains very, very quiet, full stop. So that's my opinion. That's my view. It'll be up to NUST to decide on that. Um, 
But I, I really do think that that person should either come forward, make a statement, or resign. It's as simple as that. So where do we go from here? God knows after this. But I felt I had to do this because <laughs> the trolls, or trolls as they call themselves, are saying I'm having meltdowns on Twitter. I'm not having meltdowns at all. I'm a level-headed guy. I'm a businessman, um, and I'm somebody who is a Newcastle fan. And I think, I hope that some of you who didn't know me or still don't know me but have watched this will at least get a bit more of an idea who I am and where I come from. Um, where do we go from here? Yeah, I really don't know. The people aren't going to be happy because, you know, I've, I've, I've told my side of the story now. I guess we'll wait and see if there's a response. The messages I put out last night on my Twitter account were actually from a WhatsApp group to do with a small fanzine. And it's a WhatsApp group, which I'm not a member of, but somebody who is a very, very good and long-term friend of mine has, has made me aware of because they are sick of the fighting and infighting and divisiveness of Newcastle fans. And they now can quite clearly see who is causing this and why they're causing it. And to see certain accounts who've attacked me and NCSL over the last few weeks be part of this campaign to, to destroy my business, to destroy me character, and to destroy me as a person, I think that's horrendous. And I think that there's, there's some people who are sitting in that WhatsApp group who by all accounts, don't see a very great, don't see a great deal. Who I've had conversations with and they've point blank denied that anything is going on. I think it's an absolute disgrace. Those people who've spoken to me face to face looked me in the eye and said, that's not happening. Just as culpable as the person who's been pulling the strings for years. Very disappointed in it. And there's nothing I can do apart from come out and say my piece on my channel. What about the other podcasts? What about the trolls? What about some of the journalists? There's a big power game here. Why? Because I've pissed on their chips, maybe. I don't know. I really don't know what I've done wrong. I genuinely do not know what I've done wrong to, to upset so many people. But I guess I haven't upset so many people. I've upset one person. And they've made sure that my name, my reputation, and their version of events is heard. Well, today, my version of events has been heard. There's no ego here with me. At all. I'm not Billy Big Box. I'm not somebody who wants to be better than anybody else. I'm not anybody... I'm Steve Wraith from Gateshead, who is a Newcastle fan, who wants to see a takeover go through, wants to see Newcastle win something before I die. That's who I am. Who are you? And why do you want to make my life a misery? And why do you want to try and finish me off? What have I done to you?